Well, it's been exciting. I've been excited to, to get to this message today because it's not just me speaking. It's going to be a whole team of us uh, as we wrap it up um, in this time together. We're going to talk about our true and proper worship. Now, last week, I know Matt, Matt suggested that we're going to be talking about strategy. Well, indeed, we are. But strategy is best understood as worship. What is our true and proper worship? It, it's a really, if you ask the question, it's really a, a question about what it means to be human. When you boil it all down, to be human is to be a Worshipper. So I invite, invented this phrase. We can describe the fundamental reality of human as being homo worshipo. That is fundamentally who we are. Worshipful people. I made it up. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to take it home or anything like that. But James K.A. Smith, a favorite author of mine, uh, recently quoted again by Carolyn Ahrens a couple of weeks ago, and um, he has this book, you, you Are What You Love. He puts it this way, to be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing, and we want that. We crave it. We desire it. This is why our most fundamental mode of orientation, the way we are human in the world, is to love. There's something we love, and we spend our time craving what we love. Saying you are what you love is the same as saying you are what you worship. Martin Luther said, uh, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your God. The big takeaway out of uh, Smith's book is that false and improper worship, or we could call that idolatry, is more liturgical than it is theological. Uh, you can read the book. But what he is saying is, what you do is what you worship, less than what you think. It's possible that you can think all the right thoughts, but do all the wrong things and fall into false worship by what you do. And so knowing what we are doing and examining what we are doing and how we do what we do is really an important part of us growing in our worship, our true and proper worship. Because fundamentally, we all worship something or somebody or a mix of some things and somebodies, and what we love shapes the way we live and operate in our world. So what is? What is your true and proper worship? Now, I know you thought we were talking about strategy today. We are. We are, in fact, Doing so, in the last number of months, uh, the board, the staff, 
and some congregational members have been working together, discerning and discussing what God is calling us to in this particular season that we find ourselves in. We're, we're the kind of team around here that don't like sitting around. We want to know what God is up to and how we can participate in what he desires to accomplish in our midst and because of what and where we live in the world. And as we had these conversations and it started already way back a year ago, but started taking a, a step up at our recent September leadership breakfast where we all, as leaders, and there was about 40, 50 of us in a room beginning to talk about these things, saying, how are we going to lean forward into this year? We started talking about Romans chapter 12, the text that was read this morning. And this particular chapter describes a beautiful and compelling picture of a church in action. And if we agree with Paul, everything we do as people is a response of worship. Paul suggests in this particular passage, right in verses 1 and 2, a powerful image of what it means to be Christian in this world. He says it this way, you are living sacrifices. You are a living sacrifice. And interesting, he describes that not as individuals, you are a living sacrifice and you are a living sacrifice. No, as one body, we are a living sacrifice. By what we do together in worship here on Sundays, in our actions in the life from the world together, we are a living sacrifice to the world. Now, Paul develops this idea of worship, this living sacrifice, of course, from the Old Testament. You, you know how the Israelites worshipped God. They had a tabernacle in the midst of their people group. The 12 tribes in the wilderness surrounded the center, which is where the tabernacle was. And they would bring their grain offerings and their food offerings and their meat offerings. And there would celebrate and glory God. This was a glorious way of life. God was centering their life, present in the midst of them, and they were being sent out into the world to be a light to the nations. But the sacrifices they bought, brought were one-time offerings. You take some grain, you burn it, and it's gone. But it was out of gratitude and thankfulness to God, an offering to him. But now, Paul says, you are sacrifices not as a one-time event, but as an ongoing reality in the world. You are sacrifices that are living, ourselves being given over to all of God's calling to do what God is doing in the world. Everything we do is worship to God. As we talked as a team over these last number of months, we came to the point where we were coming up with some real good strategies, we think. Some great initiatives to move on. Things that we think would, would help us get to a certain point where if we got there in terms of strength, we can then move from that platform and move on to a new strength. That's what really planning is about. What can we, where can we get to so that we can move forward from strength to strength? And, and, and what we were talking about is goals that would take us 
12 to 18, maybe 20 months. Not far-range things, but things that we could give our energies to. And the more we talked about it and putting some stuff on charts, which I'm going to show you very quickly in a moment, we came to, the, we came to this one goal called worship. And it sort of dangled at the bottom of the rest of our four main ones. And as we talked with the board, the board goes, what's with that? What's with this dangling thing? Well, we didn't really have room for it, and we knew it was important, worship and prayer and all that kind of stuff, and we really want to go for that, but it doesn't really fit into our chart sort of simply. And, and they pushed us back, and then Arthur, who unfortunately is sick and won't be able to share with us today, said, and we, we argued over Skype. It's a good, safe way to argue, because you can't hit each other over Skype. But we were arguing about... Where does worship fit? And we, we went on for about a good 45 minutes, and all of a sudden, because I love good conflict and good debate, all of a sudden, in the midst of that, an idea sprung forth. Worship is not a dangling participle. It, in fact, wraps up everything. This is where this message is coming from. Worship, in fact, is everything we do. So this whole strategy is really a worshipful response about, God, here is what we're going to do. This is what we believe you are calling us into, and we want to participate with you in this. It's all worship. Not just Sunday mornings, but everywhere we go. And so, so when we're talking about worship, we're talking about what we believe God is calling us to do so that wherever we go, we are a living sacrifice, giving glory to God. And so I, I really want to unpack that. But let's get back to this question. What is true and proper worship? Because I want to share with you how Romans 12 really feeds into these goals that we're going to share with you today. Well, Paul begins by telling us what it isn't first. Our worship is not true and proper when our lives are being conformed to the patterns of the world. When we are being more shaped by the world, despite what we believe, our true and proper worship slides. If on Sundays you can manage singing and belting out songs and praying and doing all the things that we do, which is sort of a, a liturgical rhythm set for the week, but if you fall off the rhythm through your week, you operate your business without being a living sacrifice, you do your education without being a living sacrifice, run your organization or book, we are not living out true and proper worship. Would you agree? And when we go into this text, and we won't go deep into all these things, but Paul highlights, as he talks about what it means to, to be a people of true and proper worship, highlights that in the context of the patterns of this world. Conceit is a pattern of the world. Exclusion, not everybody belongs. Self-interest over the interests of others. Pride condemnation, revenge. These are all things you'll find in this text that indicate the patterns of this world. But true and proper worship calls us to a different way of life. What is that? Well, let's get at that. 
In verses 1 and 2, the first thing that Paul says is, it is the renewing of your mind. To be in true and proper worship, it is the, the willingness to have your opinions change. The way you think change so that it aligns with God's way of thinking and God's way of life in the world. And ultimately, if you grow in the renewing of your mind, you will be able to test and approve what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. One of the reasons why we gather in worship every Sunday is not only to sing praises, but also to, to hear God's word being taught. Why do we do that? Why do we spend so much time in our church, a good 35 minutes, teaching the Bible? In order to challenge you to rethink the patterns of the world that you have maybe have absorbed and to sort of transform them into a new way of thinking that can reshape your whole life. And we need that kind of practice, the Sunday practice, along with small groups and along with many other things, and there's other disciplines we can do, but Sunday morning worship, where we get to hear the word of God, is a critical piece of us becoming people whose minds are being renewed. True and proper worship includes that, for sure. Second thing it includes... It is the life of humble effort. I love chapter 12. I think it's one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. One, because it describes the church in, in such a beautiful way. But it also challenges us to think about how we function as Christians in this world. And verses 3 to 8 unpacks in a powerful and profound way what it means to be people of humble effort. Don't, says Paul, think more of yourself than you ought. We live in a culture, we've said this over and over again, you hear it from a lot of preachers, where we have so individualized our notions of what it means to be human that we're all worried about, am I good? Can I get better? We're always self-absorbed. There's a high level of self-interest about whether you're successful or not. And Paul is pushing us to say, yes, you are gifted, God has created you, but don't put yourself before somebody else. And there's this huge theological point he makes. We are all members of one body in, of one body. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to one another. Now, what God's creating in churches like ours is the formation of a unified type of people group who are dependent on one another in a profound and beautiful way. Which is a huge contrast to a fragmented world where everybody are trying to make it on their own. And leaving behind anybody who can't run fast enough. People are living on the street. It's their fault, not our fault. Just work harder. But Paul is describing 
a community that is very different. I mean, Jesus, his whole life is evidenced by not assuming any earthly title in life. He depended on others, the group of people that were around him, and upon God himself. His parables reinforced the upside-down world of his kingdom. He would, you know, the parable about the great banquet. Let's invite everybody in town to come to this wedding banquet. And everybody was too busy, so what does he do? He invites those that everybody would usually forget. It's a life of humble effort. This really struck me this week. Because as you look at those verses, you can just see the, 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 the exhortations of Paul to, to, to put one another ahead of oneself in service. You know, if you're a Canucks fan, this is a really fascinating week because they celebrated who this week? The two people, the twins, the Sedin twins. It's sort of fascinating, the celebration of these two people after, as they retired or have retired and raising their banners. There was a couple stories that really struck me. One is, if you want to get to meet Hendrick, you just got to go to his kid's school because there's this great hockey player doing the crossing guard. Not too big for that. Or when Bo Horvat, the, the, the captain now, I believe, talked about his experience with Hendrick, who was a captain when he first started. He says, you know, Hendrick had this amazing capacity to, 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 to lead our team. It says, when we won our games and we were winning well, he would, uh, he would come into the press room where everybody wanted to talk to him, and he would sort of give a quick two, three-minute thing, and then he would quickly escape into the dressing room and leave the rest of his team there to celebrate and to be interviewed and to be written up in the newspapers and all that kind of stuff. He says, but when we lost, and when we lost bad, he was the first one into the press room and the last one to leave, allowing the rest of the team to escape. He was there when he needed to, and he wasn't there when he didn't need to be. Because <laughs> it was all about what this community of hockey players was all about. It sort of said, ah, I think that's a picture of what it means to be the church. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't do what you can do. I mean, right there, Paul says, you know, if, you're, if your gift is mercy, do mercy. If, you're, if, you're, if your gift is teaching, teach. If your leadership, if you've got a gift of leadership, do it diligently. Do the things that God has called you to do, but don't do it for your sake. Do it for the sake of others. So, so you know, this message is not just to inform you a little bit about our strategy and what we really like to do in the future and try to get you on board. Well, we do. It's a call to action to say, we are the body of Christ, you are gifted, and there's a part to play. And we want you to be participants in this, this forward-leaning move into the future. So, two things so far. And what is true in proper worship? It is the renewing of your mind. It is the life of humble service. And thirdly, it is the life of another gymism, anti-evil action. You look at these verses, 9 through 20, they're thematized by Paul, I think, or I'm making the case for, is by his theme of to be Christian is to live in an evil world. Or, to put it in the words of this passage, is people who are being conformed and aligned to the will of Jesus Christ are going to live in a world where most people are conformed to the ways of another way of life. 
And so we have this tension and struggle as we become God's people, living and functioning in action in a world that is not conformed to what we believe to be the way to give glory to God. So in verses 9 through 12, Paul says, hate what is evil. In fact, you know, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Why? Because sometimes living in a difficult reality can sometimes sap your zeal. But he says, don't give up. Do. Love. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient when things are tough. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people. Do good in the context of difficult times. You can already see some strategy here. Paul was a little bit of a strategist. He's given people an exhortation to do something in the midst of their challenging environment. 9 through verses 13, it's, I would say the, 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 the push is hate what is evil, cling to what is good. But then he pushes it further in verses 14 through to 16 when he says, this doesn't mean just being nice. It means you be nice to those who are difficult to you. Bless those who persecute you. So in fact, he's saying, I want you to go a little bit farther. Just don't be nice to one another and sort of keep a bit of a safe place, but go out into the world and even bless those who hurt you, who may even persecute you. And so if you read that, to be the case, when he says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, it's not talking about rejoicing with those who are rejoicing here particularly, but rejoice with them when they have good reasons to rejoice. It's like our neighbors having a big party with all our friends and there's beer bottles breaking and the front yard is littered and there's chocolate bar bags of chips all over the yard. And instead of cursing them, you get your kids up early in the morning and say, go clean that up for them. Okay, I wouldn't do that to you kids. I'd do that maybe myself. But instead of cursing them and saying, phoning them up and saying, how could you do that to us? It was our Valentine's night and you ruined our evening. I said, hey, I heard you had, I, I heard you had a party. <laughs> how about if I help out and clean this one up for you? When they have a birth of a child, you send a congratulations note. When they're sick in the hospital, even though you don't like them and they don't like you, you you're going to be a blessing to them instead of a curse. Uh, Paul is saying, push into the world. Be a living sacrifice. Who knows what might happen? Bless those who persecute you. And I mean, you look at those few verses. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. You are not better than them, really. You're just redeemed. So offer your life as a sacrifice. Who knows? They could get redeemed, too. This is all about evangelism, really. Sharing the life that God has called us into. And then finally... The, the, the push in this last paragraph of verses 17 to 20 is this. 
do not repay evil with evil. You're like me. When somebody hurts you, what's your immediate response? Hurt them. When somebody does something, cuts you off in the road, and if you drive a car like mine, you know you can speed up faster than them, what do you do? You cut them off too. That's not the right way to drive. That's why I never take Monica driving with me. <laughs> but she did cut me off one time in her own car. But anyways, that's a whole other story. But the life, the pattern of life for those who are in true and proper worship is not to seek revenge, to hurt when others hurt you, but to do the opposite, is to bless. As he ends this little paragraph, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You give them food. If they're thirsty, what do you do? You give them something to drink. It's what we do. True and proper worship is not just how loud you sing or how tight you can close your eyes. It's how busy you can get with your hands and your feet serving the world with the gifts that God has granted you. It's all about action. Worship may transform the mind, but it's no point if you can't act out in responses of gratitude and thanksgiving and challenge in the world. Because that's what we are. We are people on mission for the sake of the world because we are God's people. You wouldn't give us the Holy Spirit for nothing. So that, you know, <clears throat> that's enough preaching. This passage paints a beautiful picture of the church, a church that is, can grow, a church where everybody belongs, a church which boldly shares its life with others, a church which loves in radical ways. A church that chooses, and this is a great summary by Paul in his last verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what happened on our team as we discerned and discussed is this. God wants us to plan a war against evil in the very context of our life. And so the plan that we're going to describe to you is what we believe God is calling us to, to what? Do good in our world in the context of challenging realities. That makes sense? If the church is all about worship, then we're going to be pressed into the world in new ways. So here's a picture to visualize it for you. This is, uh, I'm going to just go very quickly through this. But if you take a look at this picture, God is the one we worship. The whole God is... His redemptive reign is all over the earth and all of life is worship, but the centerpiece for Pacific Community Church is worship. And there's a number of things that, that we want to push into. One is growing. One is uh, belonging. You can't read them. I'm just going to say sharing. Sharing Christ's story and loving our neighbors. And we believe as a church, we are called into that. And as we grow, as we belong as we fellowship to one another, as we share Christ's story with others, we are in fact shaping our life of worship together. In fact, worship should push us into these things and the, the fruit of that should be celebrated in the context of worship. We came up with this chart. This is for all you uh, people on Excel sheets and all that kind of stuff that like things written down. 
We drew from the, our compass points. Remember that? Everybody belonging in, to Christ, everybody growing in Christ, everybody sharing Christ's story, everybody loving their neighbor. We used that as sort of a reference document along with our seven distinctives, and we really wrestled over a number of months. I know we only came up with one page, but this is it. And along each of the key uh, compass points, we established where we think we would go in the next 12 to 18 months. And we're gonna I'm gonna invite the panel to come up, um, people that have really helped in shaping this document, and you can see uh, over to this side over here, the people that have been involved up to this point, just back one slide, um, who, who are joining in terms of helping us move forward with some of this. But our, one of our goals today is not to only share with you, but to bring you in on this conversation because we believe God is calling us into this. And the board has been involved. Come on up, guys and gals. Uh, jump in. And I'm going to ask them to share two minutes each about... Uh, their particular area, and so that you get a taste and a feeling of where we believe God is calling us. This next chart over here, this next slide, tells you a little bit about our process. Started prayer breakfast, the board initiated this team, and these guys represent about 12, 15 people, and then we worked hard, we presented this to the board, they pushed back a little bit, we brought back recommendations, and now we're ready um, to be able to present all of this to the congregation, you guys, as a, as a bit of a call to action and, and to engage in ways. So I'm going to ask each of these guys to talk a little bit, and we're going to start with Jordan, who's replacing his father-in-law, who got sick. And his father-in-law is Arthur Timmis. And Arthur helped facilitate this whole process. It was so beautiful. I saw him at the prayer breakfast, and he led his team in such a capable way that I sort of, I said, you're going to lead our process in the next steps so that I can be more opinionated. That was really a gift. Because then I could jump into the process, not facilitating, but jumping in. And that's a gift. And see, um, Arthur was able to bless us with his gift and help us get to this point. So, Jordan, can you share a little bit? Sure. Thanks, Jim. So, I am part of the GROW initiative team and um, really, what could be more exciting than growing? One of the things that I love is, is growing myself, but also watching others grow, and even hearing um, Nilu's story about growing in her life in Canada just, honestly, just brings so much joy to my heart and to our lives. So that's really um, why we want to grow, and it's my pleasure to be part of this sub-team. Uh, as Jim mentioned, Arthur um, is, is the leader of our team. And we're really focused on the first compass point, which is every person growing in Christ. So we, through the discernment process, we identified and discerned that we would like to develop and launch a spiritual formation process here at Pacific. And um, we don't exactly know what that looks like right now. We, we're just at the beginning part of identifying this is what we want to do. But um, our hope is that uh, we will use this to accomplish that vision of the compass point, every person growing in Christ. So um, a small team of us is going to be putting some things together, and we are very excited. We are planning to launch this process in the fall, so we have lots of time to get it right, to do our homework, to figure out what works for us here, 
um, and we'll be doing that over the, num over the next number of months. And then this fall, we'll be rolling that out, uh, starting with the adults. So a spiritual formation process for the adults here, which really will help us grow closer to God, um, both in our heads and our hearts and our lives. Uh, so that's our hope. Um, we are blessed with a wonderful team. Uh, Carolyn Ahrens, Heather Dennis, Heidi Smith, myself, Jim, and Arthur. So that's our team. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, we would love to get your feedback. So uh, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Um, I have the privilege of working with the Groups at Pacific team on the Belong Initiative. And the members of the Groups of Pacific team are Jim, myself, Alex, um, Tony, Alex, McLean, Heidi Smith, um, Diane Felgate and Joan Kroger. And so that initiative is so important to us because we firmly believe that as a body, it is important for us to do life together and for us to be able to grow, for us to be able to share Christ's story, for us to be able to love our neighbors. It requires for us to spend time bonding with each other, to connect with each other. And the primary way that this initiative is seeking to help us do that is through our growth group ministries. Um, and we believe that as we spend time together in our small groups, we'll learn more about each other, we'll learn more about Christ together, and as a result of that, we'll be able to make an impact in God's world. And so, um, over the next few months, one of our aims is to, to launch some more growth groups. Over the last year, God has blessed us to see quite a number of growth groups be launched, but within the next year or so, we'd like to see three to five more groups be launched by October, and next year, we'd like to launch, in January, three more groups. And so, if you are interested in hosting or lead in a growth group or even join in a growth group if you're not a part of one, I'd encourage you to talk to me or any of the persons in our groups of Pacific team that I mentioned because I firmly believe that if we are going to see God move in our congregation in the way in which we are hopeful for, it requires for us to do it together. And so the Belong Initiative is an important one and we're all excited to be a part of it. There are five verbs in the SHARE Initiative. Stoke, equip, develop, establish, invite. Any one of those verbs is enough to overwhelm me, but that's a, actually a really good place to be because it means the only way forward is trusting God, and that's exactly where God wants each of us. Dreaming big in this initiative means to accept the call that God has placed on each of us, a people for his name, to live intentionally in the places he has planted us, our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, sports teams, wherever we find ourselves. It means living out the generous and abundant hospitality of God who came to serve us. We're called to do as we see Jesus do, the word who became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He partied with misfits, touched the unclean, fed the multitudes, girded himself with a towel, and washed dirty feet. His life was given daily for those around him. Wherever he was, he brought life. Um, the team, which is Prince, myself, Leah Haggerty, and Dave Ashton, um, are working to discern how we can spur one another on as members of one body to live out this call at this time in this place. Already we have plans underway for a Rodeo Sunday on May 17th where we can share our lives through story, song, and food. We want to open the doors and invite our friends and neighbors to come and taste and see this God we serve and how he is at work bringing life. We invite you to pray for us and with us and join us as we move forward in this initiative.
I find it a hard time sitting down when I get so excited, so I'm going to stand up. I'm going to break the mold. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Jim, but you already insulted me this morning once, so <laughs> I'll take it from Jim all day. Uh, I'm uh, sharing about the Love Initiative, and uh, one of the things that uh, we've really been able to love people around is food and community. Um, this week already, we... Uh, had over $10,000 worth of food donated here, and uh, we trucked it out and in and uh, shared it with our, our, our neighbors, our other, uh, our other uh, partners, our recovery houses. Like 200 dozen eggs came in this week. Um, like it's, it's just crazy the amount of food out there that we're receiving and then being able to share with others. And then something really weird came in this week. We got like 1,500 packages of seaweed, um, you know, like the little snack seaweeds. And uh, we got rid of like 500 to all of our partners and they said no more. So after the service, I got 1,000 packs of seaweed <laughs> that uh, I need out of the warehouse so I can make room for all the food that's coming in this next week. So if you like those little packs of seaweed, please come pick up a whole bunch. But anyways, that's, the that's all my advertising on that piece. So what it means is in the Love Initiative, we are doing so much around moving food and so much around um, making our meals and doing all that, uh, that, that just busyness. And uh, it sort of reminds me of the Mary and Martha story where, you know, there's one who is just moving around, getting all the food done because that's important. But then there's the other one who is sitting at Jesus' feet and uh, listening and loving. And that's where we really need the church to come in. We need Pacific to come in with our ministry around the food is that I got all kinds of volunteers from outside the church, from other churches that are really busy running around doing all the actions. We need some people in our church to come alongside and really love the people that we are serving and open up spiritual discussions with them. Uh, some of the things that we're already starting is uh, I see right here in the front row Monica, Jim's wife, um, much better person than Jim, um, <laughs> is uh, she's had a real heart for a lot of the people that we're connecting with on our, in our meal nights. And she has been coming for the last two years and just sitting at the tables. Um, the volunteers in the kitchen is well taken care of. She's sitting at the tables. She's starting to learn stories. She's starting to share and love and care. And uh, she's actually started a small group on Friday nights um, for people to come from our meals. So they can come to the meal, grab, uh, grab something to eat, and then when the meal is done, they go to a room here in the church and they meet as a small group just as we meet in our small groups. And uh, there is good things happening in a small group like that. People are able to share their struggles. People are able to pray for each other. People are able to care for each other. And uh, we need some more mature believers and some more leaders from our congregation who are willing to come alongside Monica and help in that way. And then that is one of our strategies. And then we want to kind of take that and we want to say, how can we then make a pathway where people that don't know God, they come in, they have hurts, they have burdens, they're hungry, we're meeting some of their physical needs, now how can we meet some of their spiritual needs and help them that way? So that's where we really need Pacific to come alongside and we need you guys to come alongside. So if your heart is in that, um, join Monica 
and our team as we kind of discern where God is leading us in that. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. So Jim talked about all of this being part of our worship. And our worship together, our Sunday worship, is the time when we as a community, as a church community, gather in response to Christ's presence in our midst and his call to us to glorify God. And the engagement of each member of the body acknowledges the image of God in each of us and the power of God to renew and restore us to a position in Christ from which we can legitimately give glory to God. And so Jim shared that we do that as a living sacrifice. To expand on that, in, uh, in Luke 17.33, Jesus says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So being a living sacrifice, it means that we forsake all else to live in obedience to God. And it means we take God at his word that he knows what is best for us and for his kingdom. When we do this, we open ourselves to the Spirit's transformative work. Uh, and we say, not my will, but your will be done. So what does that mean for us as a team and as a church? With all that we have shared, it means we lay it at the foot of the cross. And we submit all that we do to the Lordship of Christ. If we hold too tightly to all of these plans, despite the fact that we believe that God has uh, led us and directed them, we risk losing sight of his will as we walk this out. So we need to pray. We must continue to immerse ourselves and all of these plans and initiatives in prayer from beginning to end. And so this is our goal with this worship initiative. We want to increase opportunities for and grow all aspects of prayer and PCC to make it more integral, natural, and contagious. Our measurements of five-plus gatherings and 120 participants in prayer and worship nights are just that. They're measurements. They help us keep track. We desire to see every member of the body engaged in the heart of what God is doing here. So we're going to continue to press into worship and to glorify God. And we're going to live into, in obedience to the calling that we have received to forsake all else to follow him. So true and proper worship transforms, it equips, and it empowers us to live life in this world as we take God at his word and submit ourselves to his will, all for his glory. Aren't these guys great? And gals? Yeah, we know we're living into a season of change and as we bring in new leadership and all that kind of stuff. But we're all sort of leaning forward in some direction. And we're just inviting you to lean forward together in the same directions. So that we can be a place where everybody grows, where everybody belongs, where everybody can share uh, Christ's story and everybody can love their neighbor. And as we do these things, we give glory to God. This is our true and proper worship where we praise him weekly from Sunday to Sunday, but live our lives together as a living sacrifice. And so we invite you, invite you to talk with any one of us as we sort of press forward. But this is a great indication of where we're headed and what we're drawing you into. 
in this season of life. Amen? Amen. Thanks, guys.